Hi, I'm Sienna. Hi, I'm Christina. And you're listening to Behind the Curtains Podcast, a podcast brought to you by English Touring Theatre. Join us as we chat to some of the amazing creatives and movers and shakers in the world of theatre off the stage. From directors to producers to choreographers, production managers, writers and dialect coaches, we're spotlighting the folks that are the backbone of the industry. We'll be reflecting on life and work in a pandemic and thinking ahead to what the future might hold in these uncertain times. Our guests will also tell you their stories and share their career journeys, each unique to them. In this episode, we are thrilled to be joined by our friends, director Madeleine Kluge and cultural producer Toby Cherimateng. Welcome, ladies. Welcome, welcome. Hi. Hey. Hey, hey, hey. How's everyone doing? How's everyone feeling? That's a big question, I know. (laughs) Doing all right. Doing all right. Just, it's a a change. It's a welcome change because I think I'm a bit of a workaholic. So this is the first time in three years that I've sort of had a sort of holiday. (laughs) So I think it's been good on one end to just get a a chance to rest. Yes, a staycation, definitely. And what about yourself, Toby, before we do the full glory biogs? How are you, my love? I'm good. I, I've got my, my chai, so I'm feeling... <laughs> <laughs> just starting my day off right. No, I'm good. I'm doing all right. Toby, F-R-S-A, I might add, is a multi-award winning cultural producer, writer and social entrepreneur. She has worked with the likes of Gaudem, Institute of Contemporary Art, Nike, Roundhouse, Samsung, and Tate Modern, to name a few, and has also had her work featured in Complex, Nowness, Vinyl Factory, and 180 The Strand. Toby is also the founder of award-winning initiative Black Ticket Project. Welcome, Toby, and congrats on all your recent successes and wins, my friend. Amazing. So amazing. And also in the house, we have the darling Maddie. Madeline Kluge is currently the Associate Director at the Birmingham Repertory Theatre and is an alumni of the Regional Theatre Young Director Scheme. Her current work includes being the director of Grime Boys, Grime Boy by Casey Bailey at The Rep. Um, she's also Associate Director and Dramaturg on City of a Thousand Trades in partnership with The Rep and Birmingham Royal Ballet. To name a few, she's got a long list of credits and you can find out more about those when you go and look at our show notes. So welcome both. Welcome. For those who aren't too sure, can you just start by the, with the basics by telling us actually what being a producer entails? As a producer myself, I know people aren't often really that clear, but stuff like not being sure, like what is the difference between a, a cultural producer or a producer um, who mainly is just in theatre or, or, you know, a production manager, just maybe if you could give us the bare bones of maybe some of the similarities and the concrete stuff. Yeah. So I guess like, um, I guess the first thing that that I would say is that there are so many different types of producing um, and producers. And I feel like obviously like they all have some sort of transferable skills or skills that are in common, um, but they all can serve different purposes. And it largely depends on the kind of producer I guess you want to be. Um, so, you know, some people call themselves creative producers. Um, maybe they consider themselves a bit more involved in the creative process of making a piece of work, um, whether that's dramaturgically or otherwise. Um, and maybe they don't do as much as sort of like admin heavy stuff. Um, there are other producers that might be like strictly focused on just like fundraising and doing admin and don't really want to have any input creatively at all. Um in my in my case, I guess as a culture producer, um, I work across disciplines and most of my work is interdisciplinary as well. So I'm not sort of wedded to one particular industry. Um, 
So if I am making a piece of theatre, it's probably going to have music in there. It's probably going to have poetry in there. Might have a bit of film in there. You know, all of this kind of stuff and and vice versa. Um, but equally, I'll do a lot of the the fundraising. I'm usually that the genesis of a project. But again, as a producer, you don't have to be. You might come in halfway through a project. Um, I guess like the common skills I would sort of say is organisation, um, being a people's person. Um, there isn't like anyone that I don't talk to when working on a project. I think fundraising, fundraising is something that everyone needs to grow to love. I think it's a, such a key skill. Some people find joy in it. I personally do not. Um, <laughs> but it, it's a key skill that I think everyone should have, regardless of how often you use it. Basic skills like using Excel. If like me, you're really bad at maths, but you have to work with numbers. <laughs> Excel like does all the work for me. Um, like, and other things like team morale, you know, like if you're going through a really hard bit of a project, you are probably the person that people are going to come to with their grievances and, you know, their fears and their anxieties. And you're usually the person that's sort of like, it's going to be fine, even if you don't know if that's true. Um, <laughs> you're willing it to be true, though. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. It's going to be great. Um, so, yeah, it's like just a lot of people say it's a person that gets stuff done which, you know, it's true, but how you do that varies from producer to producer. I'm actually really interested in how a director works with others. So I consider being, you know, the writer, producer, director, that's like the bare bones, the holy trio for me of theatre. If you've got no money for anything else, usually that's the case, you need at least those three. We know that sometimes people will double up and be like the director and the writer or whatever, but those are like the kind of three as the kind of building blocks. And I suppose it'd be useful just to for you to walk us through a little bit about kind of how a director would usually approach their relationship to kind of others in that trio and kind of approach their work, if that makes sense? Yes, I guess people tend to be able to get their heads around um, a director, but I guess there's also the other side of it as in terms of being a, an, a director within a building. Um, there's there's the other side of it as well where... And being yes, a dramaturg and people and, are like, yeah. what the hell does that word even mean? Yeah, so being a dramaturg where you, um, you kind of help um, a writer to get the best out of their script, um, where you do do loads of research and help them to to kind of um, kind of get the, the best and most truthful story for them. I also do a lot of artist development, so working with new new um, artists when they come through, whether that's theatre makers, writers, um, and kind of helping them on their trajectory through uh, the theatre. Uh, Birmingham Rep has like three spaces, and so the sort of plan and idea is that when somebody enters the theatre, um, the idea is that they, they, over a period of time, they can end up getting their work on the main stage um, through the different spaces. I also do a, a lot of going to watch shows and finding out about new artists that are coming through, um, meetings with offstage people. Um, in terms of, uh, in terms of the sort of trio of writer, producer, director, and, and working within that, I think for me as a director, um, working with the producer I like to work quite closely in terms of when you're building your team um for when putting on a production so at the moment I'm working on Grind Boy with Casey Bailey and just looking at who who's going to be the best team um to put together and I, I always rely on 
uh, my producer and always have that ongoing dialogue. Um, with the writer, I always like to have quite an intimate relationship. You know, I always say to my writers, come with the, the bare bones of when you're just starting and we'll work together because I like to understand where a writer is coming from with their, with their characters. Um, what, what, what's the story that they want to tell and why? Um, and go on that journey so even if things don't end up in the script you understand where it's come from you understand where they're going you understand um why and um and another big thing for me in terms of working with writers is I it's always about challenging but I also want them to challenge me because I always say your piece is your baby so you know your child better than anybody else so if I come and say this 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 you need to challenge me if you don't feel that that is the right way to go but it's always about asking questions and pulling out the best out of them so yeah love that and I have actually had the pleasure of being supported by Maddie when I was an artist in residence at the Rep um, so I can confirm that she's very supportive indeed <laughs> that's really a good segue into my next question I know you've been asked this 10,000 billion times but it would be really useful because I'm aware particularly I think Toby has had like uh, what you know an unconventional just like a zigzag route into this world which is actually rich and wonderful um, the way you've kind of found yourself into it so I think let's start with you Toby talk us through how how on earth you actually became like a producer a cultural producer how you ended up in theatre and kind of adjacent spaces yeah I can't say you know growing up it was sort of like yeah I want to be in theatre like my first half was, was music um so that was sort of like what I was really into and like I signed up to do all the instruments at my school because I was doing like free <laughs> music lessons but that was like my first love and then it just didn't feel I didn't know what a career in music looked like other than being a performer and I didn't want to be a performer but I loved making music and I loved like the process of working with other artists um and then I guess the second thing in my my secondary school was drama which you know the drama department was okay but it was still like the place where all the bad kids went and they got kicked out of other classes so it, you know but I, I really enjoyed it um and then when I left and went to college I did a performing arts BTEC which again was still very like performance heavy obviously um <laughs> uh, and they kind of talked about other roles like stage managing talked a bit about radio as well but producing never ever came up as a thing um and then in the final year of college my teacher was like if you don't want to be an actor don't go to drama school like find other things to do and I was like oh crap that was like my three-year plan like <laughs> that's what you're told to do like you do this and then you go to uni or you go to drama school and at the time I was working at Fortnum and Mason's in Piccadilly which was the go um <laughs> and I was like I don't want to stay here <laughs> so I literally just like googled um apprenticeships in theatres in London and was just like I don't really care what I do I just want to stay in the creative space while I figure out what exactly it is that I want to do with my life with the aim of like going to university afterwards um and then got got placed at Battersea Art Centre as an apprentice producer um which was just like just opened me up to like this world of producing but producing in so many different ways producing really large-scale projects with communities producing one-on-one -on -one performances producing like community projects and initiatives like working really closely with people in ways that I didn't really consider or didn't know was a thing um then after that I was like oh this is cool like I'll just 
I'll just carry on doing this. Um, but working at BAC also gave me the opportunity to to do that multidisciplinary work. So it wasn't sort of like, we are a theatre and we work with plays and that's all we're going to do. But I could sort of rock up and be like, I want to do an open mic and they'll be like, cool. Or I want to do a festival and it was like, cool. You know, it wasn't sort of like combined. Like it wasn't confined to like the the some of the binaries that the theatrical space can sit in sometimes. Um, and then, yeah, I did lots of other stuff around that, but that was sort of the genesis of sort of like getting into the space and then sort of being like, okay, I think this is what I want to do. Love that. And also in, in that journey as well, you've spoken about how this is actually something that a lot of the people, you know, will be chatting to and have chatted to talk about that you get in and there are the bare bones and the basics and then you like redefine the role. So like mm. what it means to be a sound engineer, you then redefine what that looks like. You, what it means to be a producer, you've got the basics down, you need your Excel, but then <laughs> you redefine the rest kind of thing, right? Mm. Really useful. And then similar question to you, Maddie, like what's your journey been um, and how have you ended up kind of being a director? How did you even realise that this kind of role would be accessible and available to you? Well, it's interesting that Toby says about music because I my thing was that I wanted to manage artists when I was very young. I just loved the live music scene. But I, again, playing instruments, I played piano to about grade three and just let it go, did the recorder and then was like, okay, I can't do this. Love that. But you know. There's something I'd... about music being this entry point yeah. though. I think that's like another yeah. thing to dig into, but yeah. Yeah, so then, um, so after that, you know, I, what did I do? I... I was in school because I'd moved schools. I remember my, we'd moved house, moved schools. And then, um, and then I ended up, um, a really good friend of mine was um, a dancer. And we did like Saturday dance and drama. My mum would put us in something to get us out of the way. And then I remember one of my friends ended up going to the Brit School Performing Arts and was like, you know, you should audition. And I was like, what is this? You know, and my parents were like, no. And then um, I ended up getting in and I did that for two years. I did musical theatre. And then the I didn't know what I wanted to do afterwards. And then they had a, a year that is sort of um, arts management. And I was like, oh, perfect, because, you know, I love music and I want to manage artists. Um, so then I did that. But then also I was like, oh, I, I like a little bit of performing and acting. So then, but my dad was like, hell no, you're not going to, you're not going to drama school. You're not going to get any, get a proper degree. So, um, you know, we didn't come here for you to be running around on the stage. So then, so in the end then I was like, okay, fine. So then I got, um, I went to, I went to uni and studied, um, music and arts management and marketing, but I told my dad it was just management and marketing. And so, <laughs> so I went and I did that and I did, I did well and, um, and then after that, I um, I was then like, I've got my degree. And then I ended up working with Talawa Theatre Company. So I went in and I um, I I was a performer with them. And then um, I did, um, they had this programme that they did where they were trying to get um, more uh, young black um, performers into facilitation. Um, so they had like a pilot call. So I did that. And then um, I, I was a script reader. Um, enjoyed that and then someone said to me because of the way I, I think and stuff Are you, have you thought about directing and I was like what what is that no and they were like I think you should so I ended up doing um Young Vic's introduction to directing course um, and then went back to Talawar and assisted on their tip shows and I just fell in love with directing from there and and everything 
behind the scenes, not just being in the rehearsal room, even though I loved being in the rehearsal room. And then from from there, I just ended up working with different theatres um, on loads of like loads of assisting or facilitating, just getting my foot in the door, understanding how they worked, understanding the bigger picture of things. And then um, th- I had a bereavement in in my life, which which was a big knock. Um, where my mum died and then it was like okay I've kind of got to what actually do I want to do because before it's just taking every day as it comes and trying to figure out where you want to be and what you want to do and then it was actually like okay now now actually where do I want to sit within this world Um, and then I ended up applying for the regional theatre young director scheme didn't think I would get it and then I got it and I was like oh and um Birmingham Rep would like would really like to have you so I moved everything to Birmingham didn't know anybody bar one person Daniel Bailey um but I didn't know anybody and I just came and I was like right we're just gonna do this and we're gonna figure it out day by day and and then um the rest is history and I've been here for three years now so yeah love that in there there's this, these kind of elements of like mentorship so whether it's through an apprenticeship um in Toby's case or with you a, a number of schemes which actually still exist today even just the notion that someone kind of saw your skills and then said have you thought about I think all of that is like really powerful to know actually when people kind of observe the skills you have and then help you work out your direction I was gonna say it's also really brave um Maddie to kind of like move from one city to another I um I had a similar situation I went back into theatre when my mum had passed away as well because I thought to myself, I, it's now or never that I need to now do... It It all, It almost shifts your whole perspective of life and you realise that you actually now have to... Life is so short, You it's best to do what you want to do and just, you know, rather than kind of like go with the flow, it's time to be like, not serious, but just really focus on the end goal. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I... Th- and I would say that I don't, if my mum hadn't have died, I don't know if I would have pushed myself to that extreme to leave, uh, you know, the city. But I think, I think that sometimes things happen for a reason and things, and some things put things into perspective. And then you have to, you know, you have to look at it and go, okay, am I doing this? And if I am, what are the reasons why I'm doing it? Um, what, what is my passion? What do I believe in? And okay, let's just go for it because you only live once. So, I love that. Yeah. Just to think about, I wanted to talk a little bit about geography. And so firstly, just the fact that we're originally from London, but obviously, particularly myself and um, you, Maddie, we've been practising like in the Midlands, in the West Midlands. And I guess I wanted just to briefly speak about maybe the differences. I, I'm going to say if, but there are differences. Like the differences in the kind of like creative scene, theatre scene that you've observed coming from kind of the London bubble. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm from London. I do love London, but there is something about being in the Midlands and being in Birmingham. I think there's something about um, a, a pace of life and the work-life balance. Um, in terms of being in London, I would say I would have four, five jobs on the go, at working in the evening just to have money, pay bills, this kind of thing. And, and so really getting time to invest in people and invest in what you're doing is quite hard because you are trying to manage so many things. And I think there's something about being in Birmingham where the pace of life is just a little bit different and the work-life balance, is, a, I think, is a little bit better because, you know, it's, it's a bit cheaper here and, and stuff like that. And so, and there's also, there's a real sense of community. Not that I'm saying that there isn't in London, but everybody is trying to do so much. 
um, it's easier to know like although Birmingham is a big place but it's it's easier to know people yeah in a way that isn't as disparate I'm seeing Toby's nodding in a way that just isn't as disparate as it is in London like we do all know each other but like it's it's vast it's not necessarily that it's smaller but it is that thing that you say Sienna everybody kind of knows each other and everyone really supports each other and so there are people that I've met from when I first came that are now part of my core team um, that whenever anything's happening I'm doing a reading or this that and the other everyone will just come to my flat and sit and we'll do a reading and this that and the other and I just think it's, there is the the possibility of having that in London but so many people juggling so many things it's just not as easy it's because of the, it's the chase you know and yeah. all of the reasons that you've said about having to balance like you know your rent and all that kind of stuff it's not, not to romanticize Birmingham because I know a lot mm. of my brum friends would be like mm. but like it's not to romanticize it you know but I think just I think because we have the aspect of like coming from the rat race mm. um and just that comparison so comparatively it just feels yeah. a little bit different basically Toby you're like me I honestly, I can't imagine myself leaving London. I'm just like, I am a ride or die for West London in particular, but I know that there is huge opportunities outside of London. Um, and you've spoken about apprenticeships. Would this be an avenue that could take you to um, across the country by apprenticeships? And also, have you ever considered working outside of London? Yeah, I would love to work outside of London. I really love Manchester and Birmingham those I've spent time in Birmingham before but um not extensively but I think those are like the two kind of cities that I feel most at home in um but yeah I don't know like the opportunity has never really sort of like presented itself and I think yeah I've I'm really excited about the the prospects of of working in another city um I'm all I'm also aware of like moving to another city and sort of like what that means as someone that's not from that area, you know, coming into a different place in in a role within a, a specific community um, of which I, I might not understand their lived experiences based on me coming from the capital. So that is something that I do think about a lot. But if like, if a job presented itself, I, I would 100% move. Like I'm not, I'm not sort of wedded to London as much as I love South, um, <laughs> purely for its struggle because nothing's here um (laughs) I'm not (laughs) I'm not like particularly wedded to sort of like staying and working in London definitely yeah do you think though that apprenticeships could be a useful avenue for like young people to get themselves out of like wherever their city is if they're thinking of other vehicles um especially with regards to like career stuff having been someone that did do an apprenticeship yeah definitely I think like what my apprenticeship afforded me was um, time and space to like really train and also like do things really badly before, do things really badly while also getting a taste of what the working world is like. Like I was 18 when I started my apprenticeship and and it was paid and it was paid the um, London minimum wage which was like really good at the time because you should get an apprentice wage, which is like nothing. <laughs> and so I was able to like actually like financially support myself, which meant that I was able to like pay to do other courses alongside my apprenticeship and, you know, buy tickets to see shows if I didn't have access to it. It just gave me, it just afforded me time to like really co- like concentrate and think, okay, what is it that I want to do? What are the things that I need to learn? how do I go about doing that stuff? Um, and I think it's it's something that I think should be 
amplified more as a sort of route into different industries because I think there's a lot of emphasis on going to university and going to drama school and kind of doing which you know is its own experience as well don't get me wrong but um I definitely felt that pressure as well and I think if I didn't do my googles I wouldn't know what that apprenticeship existed in this industry um and so I, I definitely think that is something that should be amplified more to more young people just sort of thinking about how how do I support myself with the time that I need just to sort of play and test things and see if it works and not have to be committed to that thing like my apprenticeship was a year long I could have done it and sort of been like that was cool and I've learned all these transferable skills but perhaps this industry isn't for me but I can take these skills and I can apply them elsewhere you know even if I didn't want to stay here um whereas like I don't know at that time university felt like such a big commitment it was like this is three years of my life studying like one particular thing I'd I'd and I don't know if if that's the thing that I want to commit to. And then by the time you come out of that, it feels quote unquote too late to like start again. <laughs> Where it's like, I'm 18, like I'm I'm a baby. What is 18? Like, what is that, you know, to be making like these really big decisions about, about my life. And so I'll always be an advocate for apprenticeships, for BTECs, for those sort of like alternative methods of learning and education that just afford you the space and the time to do things on your own terms. I want to talk to you about a specific project, Toby. So I know that you worked with my salon brother, Julian Knox. and yeah and it's actually this question of geography again so obviously um for those who don't know um he uh wrote and you know was directed i believe this beautiful film called in praise of still boys absolutely breathtaking um and it was actually shot in sierra leone in freetown um where i am also from amen (laughs) um and i was really great to see that you were the producer on that toby so i'd love to just hear a bit more about how that collaboration came up especially because i know you're trying to like spread your wings move into a film and also knowing that obviously there are always similarities between our west african cultures but you're not sierra leonean so i wanted just Mm -hmm. to find out how you approach this project um to understand a bit more about kind of the context basically that you were contributing to yeah so me and julian we met actually um by the roundhouse who introduced me to him in terms of producing like a live show and i just then got sucked into his other projects <laughs> he was like oh well i've got this film and all of this kind of stuff which is great like i love julian um in praise of still boys um so that was originally meant to be shot somewhere in the UK. Like we didn't have budget to like fly anyone to Sierra Leone. We were trying to recreate Sierra Leone. It was like someone's like swimming pool or backyard <laughs> or something like that. It was like the ambition was wild. Wow, wild. But it was always this focus on, on the sea and its relationship with the people and its history with the people. Um, and then very last minute... Um, yeah, Julian got the opportunity to go to Sierra Leone for something else. And it, it just felt very serendipitous. It was like, cool, we have to shoot this. Like, we we, we just have to shoot it there. Like, there is no other option. Um, and so he worked with his brother there and, like, these groups of boys that he just sort of, like, gathered together. Um, 
and it was really like the process of kind of talking with Julian about his experience of being from Sierra Leone sort of like growing up there but also moving to London and his relationship with it now like what does it mean when you've been separated from your sort of quote-unquote home homeland for so long um and seeing that replicated in like my parents and remembering like the first time they went back to Ghana Nigeria in like 20 plus years and you know what does that relationship look like then um but also this sort of like embedded history um and how you sort of how you analyze that how you analyze how that's affected you and and your identity and your growth the things that you then pass on to your children um and a lot of the conversations that me and Julian had was about that sort of legacy of heritage and you know how how does he talk to his children about Freetown and and the Sierra Leonean people how does he talk about his own experiences and relationship with Sierra Leone and relationship with the sea um and so it was really it was a really sort of like it was a really beautiful project to be a part of and um it, yeah it made me think a lot about the relationship that my parents have with where they're from like I'm the first one in my family to be like born and raised in London and so it's when I look at my friends that you know were born on, on the continent um but then sort of like migrated to to the UK at some point but still have this sort of closeness or this relationship that I don't necessarily have with Ghana or Nigeria um it's always interesting to see like the the things that we borrow from like the places that we can the things that I borrow from my parents all the ways that you know our cultures are sort of like exported in whether that's through music or through food or through the clothes that we wear or through like the rituals at home or you know what are the other ways that we sort of bring our identities with us when we leave a place that we once called home. So Maddie as a creative living in a diaspora in a British context but with connections to home countries such as Ghana Mm -hmm. how has that affected your perspective and how you approach your work? Oh so I I think uh for me, because it, it, as Toby said, I am first generation born here, born and raised here. And, um, but I've, I've grown up with the influences, the food, the, the storytelling of, of Ghana, even though I don't necessarily have that strong connection with it. But um, so when I'm, when I'm working and I'm, and I'm approaching work, when I look at storytelling, there's so many different ways because I have storytelling that you learn in school from the books you get from school, but then the oral histories that are passed down, um, that you listen to family tell stories and of back home and stuff. I've also got that influence and, and that's what I love. I love the vibrant ways of telling stories. I love the... Um, the 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 fables and the you know all those that's all within my psyche as well so when I when I approach storytelling or when I approach working um working with storytelling working with writers I think I I I I always encourage them to to push the boundaries uh to think bigger to to try not to worry about fitting things into a particular way and box of how you tell it. I do think that, yes, learn the rules of how to do things, and I usually show the rules, but then after you know them, completely break them, because that's when you come out in terms of how you tell stories. And I am a person that 
I love like the musical influence within within storytelling and how you do that movement. I love that. I love trying to find non-traditional ways of telling stories. So at the moment, working uh, with Casey Bailey on Grindboy, who's now Poet Laureate of Birmingham. The way in which Casey um, writes is very poetic. And then um, his influence of, he, you know, he used to be a, a grime boy, a grime MC, and then how he, that influences within it. And then looking at the movement and how, you, how all that comes together. So it, it's in my being. I can't, you know, it, you know, it's like, you know, when they say we've got the drum in our blood. Yeah, we do. Hey. And um, <laughs> that, that's what, you know, that's what fuels me. And so... Um, and so I think it has a, a big influence. And also, I think in terms of encouraging more, uh, more writers um, of African diaspora to tell, to tell their stories, you can tell your British story with a lens, with a kind of African lens. Yes, you can. And, and exploring that, I think, is really important. So, yes. And also, <laughs> I, remember, um, I remember I was told sometimes I, um, I'm a little bit blunt when it comes to feedback, because naturally... <laughs> As um, <laughs> you know, you know we Africans, we just tell it how it is. Do you know what I mean? But it, it's that it's that kind of thing as well. But but the writers that I work with really appreciate that because you know there is transparency and and we work through it together and we work out what the, you know wherever they're trying to get to. So, and Toby, how about you? I feel like storytelling isn't like a new phenomenon. I do. Do you know what it's like? I don't know, it's it's interesting coming up through this industry as a young person because I I definitely like internalise this feeling of like having theatre like introduced to me by like these white people that run these organisations, whereas it was always a thing. Like my parents always had a story for everything. And like growing up my like my mum used to tell me and my brother's stories all the time. And so like this aspect of theatre was never a new thing um for me. And so it's just so embedded in the language of my parents and in the language of the places that I come from that it's it's almost impossible to <laughs> to, to not use these vices in the work that I make um, uh, with other people and other people that also tend to be from the continent as well um, um, or, or from the West Indies. And so... Yeah, it just feels like it just feels like it's in like my my spirit, like it's in my blood. Like there's no other way to make work. There is no amount of of technical training or whatever that could that could pair the the way that we tell stories back home because that's just like it's been a part of our our traditions, our rituals, our journeys, the oral traditions that we've had, the way that we document our stories like this is how we've always done it um and then I guess when you're pairing it with a British context um what I find really beautiful is just the way that all these languages sort of marry together and so I'm looking at the languages of my parents but I'm also looking at the languages that um West Indians brought to the UK and the development of the slang that I use I'm looking at you know, this, the words that I heard from my Somali friends growing up and how, like, that was embedded in, like... Do you know what I mean? Like, all these languages, like, us and all these different cultures kind of merged together to create this, like, this new language that is specific to being 
black and growing up in London um, and being able to sort of pair that with the the kind of traditions and rituals that my parents had growing up. And it feels really exciting. It feels like it's so specific that is, you know, I could make a piece of work that has this and not everyone will get it, but the people that I want to get it will, like, see certain things. And I think you see that across certain shows, like when Nine Night was at the National and there were, like, these, like, very specific things on stage, the Ray and Nephew's bottle on top of the, the set on, and things like that that some audiences wouldn't understand. But we understood it. Or like it's like so, our language. Yeah. It's our language, it's our motifs, it's our experiences, and they're all just cues to be like, this is for you. Right, and I I love that. I love, like, being able to, like, whisper things to people through work. <laughs> Ooh, I love that. Whisper things to people through work. That is beautiful. What advice would you give to, like, particularly, like, young um, black kids listening or, like, you know, young black creatives or just anyone who's, like, considering, even despite the uncertain times, still considering a career that is similar to yours, um, whether that be in theatre or, again, adjacent kind of creative fields, despite, you know, we know that, there are, of course, like I particularly have a parent who was actually like, whatever you do, just do it well. So if it's creative, all right, just do it well. Um, but there are folks we know who are like, this is a job. Like, are you serious? You're not just dancing around. Um, so what advice would you give to those kind of folks who maybe are hearing that, that kind of noise um, and, and they're still like, no, I'll make this work. I'll make this career viable for me. Do you have any advice for them? So maybe we'll start with Maddie. Yes, I would, I would say take advantage of the apprenticeships, the schemes, anything that's out there, do that. Um, you, you know, for me, my dad, you know, I had to have a backup. I had to have something and don't always exclude that. Yes, you've got a plan A and if you can go and just do plan A, do it. If you can't and you have to do something as a, as a backup to do that, That's don't forget okay. what your dream is. Yeah, it's okay. Don't forget what your dream is. Just just do what you need to do. But while you're there at uni or on uh, BTEC or whatever it is you're doing, making sure that you're doing something on the side that just keeps that creative juice flowing so that it doesn't kind of die out. Um, I would say it's interesting. I was... Um, I was reading a, a rereading an article about the millennium and being the slashy, where you have, you know, you're doing multiple jobs, you know. I... A multi-hyphenated, that's yes. it, multi-hyphenated. Yeah, yes, yeah. And, and that is okay. So I, I remember I, I was doing, you know, two or three jobs and I was the ultimate slashy. And the thing is, but I, I, I did it so that I could, you know, I could do what I wanted on the side. Sometimes I'd work for six months and save that money and then go straight back into theatre and be there until money ran out and then go back. And, and it's OK to have that, have that thing on the side. But I'll tell you to just keep going. I've never yeah. heard the um, slashy phrase. Definitely. So that's a, that's hilarious. But exactly that. I'm a slash this, a slash that, a slash this. Definitely. And I think, yeah, I think it's important what you say, because I think sometimes we get we make get made to feel like if I if I can't do creativity full time, then, you know, I'm a failure. And I think I've definitely been one of these people for a while. I've been asking people, like, how are you living? I want to know, like, how are you actually surviving? Do you have a nine to five? And then all we see on Instagram is the creative life from like seven to nine which is okay as well. But I think we have to be really transparent as like a creative community. And I think the situation now has forced them, that transparency to be like, I have to work in Tesco or I have to, you know, do my day job and then do my creativity. And I think it's a pr it's still important to note, it's a privilege to be able to like make money from this full time or most of the time. And there's no shame in doing what you need to do while still making this happen as well. And if you can take a leap like you both did, then you'll know when the time is right to do that. 
what about you toby anyway what's your advice for folks who you know especially because you're again you're trying to spread your wings and do all these kind of other things too but what's your advice for folks who are just mm. maybe at that crossroads um i think i would put um more importance on figuring things out with your peers and with your friends like not sort of thinking like oh like I'm not legit if I haven't worked with this organization or I haven't trained I haven't done their program or haven't trained with them or haven't produced work for them or directed work for them like the film with Julian like me and Julian are friends that was how that started you know it wasn't sort of like okay now it's an official thing and a lot of my my work has been me just doing stuff with my with my mates like that's that has afforded me opportunities in these like big institutions and stuff like that so I think the importance on like peer support and knowledge sharing and having that sort of like that sort of like horizontal networking I think for me is really important um and not always thinking that you have to look upwards that okay who are like the big people doing things um and sometimes it's also the fastest way that you're going to make work happen, you know, instead of kind of sitting down and being like, oh, I've, I've got to wait for someone to commission me or I've got to wait for someone to give me space to do this. Like, I know that I can call up my friends and be like, oh, I've got this idea. Like, what are you saying? Yeah. And they'll be like, OK, cool, let's do it. You know, and we can we pull our, our skills together in that kind of way. So that's something that I would really, really emphasize. And it helps you build your portfolio, right? It's this DIY culture that we're very much of. I always yeah. say that. If, you, if you're waiting for people, you'll never even start. You'll never mm. even start to build that portfolio. That might help you get, if you really do want to get the names and the buildings and all that kind of stuff, that's not a guarantee. But you, they need to see examples of your work, basically, unless they're taking you in on an early stage and an apprenticeship and stuff. Toby, I wanted you to um, talk a bit more or tell us about Black Ticket Project and the motivation behind funding the whole initiative. Yeah, um, so Black Ticket Project is um, a sort of bridge organisation that works with um, independent youth workers, youth organisations, charities, schools um, and cultural institutions and we essentially just sort of like make visible or create resources and opportunities for black young people in the creative and cultural industries um, and that can range from like free tickets to theatre shows to workshops to mentoring to buying laptops and paying for zoom accounts which is what we've had to be doing like during lockdown anything that sort of I guess like supports black young people um into engaging in the sector in any kind of way in a in a way that's sort of like no strings attached in a way that has that doesn't have specific expectations around you have to now want to be an actor or you have to now want to work in the sector like our thing is sort of like you experience this thing and what you do with that is what you do with it um we also don't work directly with young people and I think a lot of people assume that black ticket project is like me and like thousands of black young people like the black Jesus just being like children come culture culture but it's it's not really about that it's more about kind of working with people who those young people already trust and have relationships with and we are just the bridge and so it means that they can form independent relationships with these cultural institutions so if you know black ticket project was to disappear tomorrow it doesn't mean that no one's people are just suddenly going to stop seeing work and seeing theatre and have no relationships um and it started in unofficially in like 2017 with the first time that barbershop chronicles came to the national 
um, by Inua Ellums. And at that time, it was still like a very white audience. And I was like, you've got this show with like 12 black men on stage talking about barbershop culture across the world, um, across the diaspora. Like there are people that do this every other Saturday. Like why are they not in this space? And so me and some friends bought a bunch of tickets and just gave them to young black men and just sort of said, go and see the show. Um, and I think that was also the first time that they were going to the theatre. And so that kind of made me feel like, you know, if Barbershop was like the first show that I ever saw in theatre, like my understanding of theatre would be so different to, you know, I saw Moshe do about nothing, which is cool, but... you know I can't say particularly inspired me to work in the sector you know (laughs) um so yeah and then yeah we've we've been running um for almost three years now it's um absolutely amazing I am for a long time I didn't know about the project and it was only when um I was looking at plays and it came up like as an option I was like hold up this is awesome I started telling like like just loads of people around me that like if you can't afford to watch a play please just apply for this because you know theater tickets are crazy expensive and I remember just telling people that you know I didn't grow up watching theater just people that were in like you know that didn't come from the same background as me and it just wasn't a thing uh to go to the theater I mean you know it's a treat to go to the cinema where tickets were like I don't know six seven pounds let alone theater which be I don't know 30 40 pounds it's just not it just wasn't feasible. Um, so I think it's so important, no matter how old you are, we or you know, you know, where you're from, but if you can't if you can't afford a ticket, especially, you know, for us as black people where it's just not um the norm, it's just I just think it's awesome that this you know, that black tickets um, you know, that it exists and I'm just so grateful that you've even come up with it because I can imagine how many people it's impacted. It's brilliant, it's so good. Um, and just kind of speaking of like representation, I just, I know Sienna asked you a task, which was to tell us who your unsung heroes are that has inspired you as artists and, you know, just in your, like, just in general, in your journey. Um, so who would you like to shine a light on, whether they're dead or alive, who deserves Sung recognition? Sung or unsung, who deserves that space? Yeah. Let's lift up their names. Yeah. For me, it has to be Gail Babb, who, um who is now a lecturer at Goldsmiths, um, teach, uh, sort of teaching applied theatre. Um, she's also, a, you know, a producer. She was an education and participation officer at um, Tallawa for about 10 years. And kind of what she has done and what she does is, is promote representation and diversity and... Um, and supports the generations of, of new theatre makers. Um, she's always been, you know, she started Tipped, um, which was about bringing young black artists together to work and create new work together. Um, and she's just always been a, a support to so many people um, and works in so many different sectors, just, you know, flying the flag and... I don't think she gets enough recognition at all. And mm. she just doesn't realise how many careers within theatre, you know, a lot of young people thinking, actually, this just isn't for me. It's not a space for me. Um, I don't see myself. And she's always been there to just help push and, and move along. And I think 
I think, yeah, she de- deserves a lot more praise than she gets, but she 100%. is like, yeah, Thank she's you. definitely my person. So yeah, that's me. Thank you Gilbert. so much. Great to great to have her name in this space and for, for folks to like go and find out more about her. And I think it's important that we, yeah, particularly those people who help us move forward in our careers as well and who are quietly ticking away in the background being a backbone. That's wonderful. Thank you. What about you, Toby? Um, I think mine is Roger Robinson. Um, Love Roger. Love Roger. He was, so he was in my interview when I interviewed for a job at Apples and Snakes. And I was so shook of him because he didn't really say much. He just (laughs) stared at me really intensively. And I was like, oh my God, this guy hates me. Like, I'm not going to get this job. But I think I came to understand that actually he was really trying to help me in that, in that kind of space. And he has been someone that I've considered to be a really great mentor and a friend. And every time we kind of have a conversation, it's like Roger just has stories for days. Right. And he reminds me a lot of like my parents again, like there's a story for everything. He's like that Trini uncle, isn't he? And I love it. And I just feel like that sort of like intergenerational relationship has been really important for me. Um, and he is also someone that has pioneered a lot of, you know, the artists and poets and and theatre makers that we, we know now. And he's not often recognised that he's just getting his accolades now, you know. He's a magnificent so, artist in his own right as well. He's incredible. And it's only in the last year where he's really supportable paradise that he's now being recognised. And it's taken a long time to get here. But I think equally, he's he's not someone that is often bigged up enough in the kind of public sphere as as an incredible pioneer um, across art forms. And yeah, he's he's been integral to sort of like my journey as a, a thinker and, and a maker for sure. Amazing. Thank you so much for, for shouting out Roger because I can concur, he's just, he's magnificent in every way. What is next for you both? Like, Toby, I know you've got a book coming out as well and it's kicking your ass trying to get it finished, but it's worth, you know, you're going to get to do it. And then we've got, you know, maybe Maddie's or you might be working on some stuff, experimenting with, like, social distancing. But just how has this, like, really big moment of uncertainty and change affected your work? And, like, that said, what is next for you both? Yeah, it's been it's been a bit of a, a madness. Um, I'm definitely trying to do more sort of, like, digital work, so more, like, audio work and more kind of film stuff. Not because I'm trying to move away from the live space but because I think uh now more than ever it's really important to kind of experiment with these other forms I've always wanted to experiment with anyway um and yeah obviously this book which is uh, stress (laughs) so stressful tell us what is your book called and like how's that come about really quickly uh, it's called Theatre Shit and it's looking at the theatre from the the last 20 years sort of roundabout with a bit of like precursor to that. Um, and yeah, so actually it's been really fun like doing lots of research on that and having a bit of time and space to be able to like really like dive into that that sort of world. But yeah, I'm really kind of intrigued by like what audio can do and what digital work looks like in in this sort of time whilst still wanting to keep the elements of liveness there love that and what about yourself maddie um 
I think that during this time, especially COVID, it's it's giving it's given an opportunity for self development. I think, um, and and sort of looking at what are what are the next steps, what are the milestones that I kind of want to achieve that I didn't necessarily have time to think about. Um, in terms of doing doing stuff, I think this is an opportunity now, as Toby has said, with digital and actually being able to reach out to a lot more people. So I've been doing a lot more workshops um, with people and using you know, the skills that I have in order to, to share with more people than would I would be able to at the rep. Um, I think in terms of what's been happening politically as well with Black Lives Matter as well, I think... Um, there are some interesting conversations that have been happening, but I'm I'm a person of yes, we can have words, but where is the action? And and for and for me, in terms of always having a voice, but being able to use it a bit a bit more sharply, if that makes any sense at all. Yes. Um. But but also that the the influx. The influx of people wanting your time and your your space and 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 trauma in a way and having to 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 say no actually this is how I want to to manage this and this is what I'm willing to give you um, but also the support systems as well that have come in place so in the Midlands having the uh, Black Artist Group that come together and and discussing certain things and everybody coming together to to make that those changes together has been really really important as well but also having also having access and working as artists together again because there's always been a great community but actually getting to meet people from different disciplines who who want to make work that doesn't that doesn't only fixate on us being young and black but actually I remember one of Arinze's plays where the young lady says I want to have a moment with a bike ride and can be these different things and not the stereotypes so it's just been really interesting being able to explore that brilliant a quick question is going to ask you guys if you could let us know where everyone can find you on your social channels twitter instagram I'm really bad you know me I'm not, <laughs> I'm not on social media and even tell I've us got... about the rep then instead yeah. give us that yeah yeah just go on the Birmingham rep website you can send an email through there I'm terrible and apparently I've got a Twitter account that I don't even know about Gail set it up back in the back in the day and you know that is true yeah but I'm, tr- I'm do trying do not contact Maddie on socials basically <laughs> yeah so basically yeah just through the Birmingham rep you can send a message and it will get it will get through to me through stage door and then I always I always contact back so that's my way and one day I will make it onto other social media what about you Toby who is definitely out there on the socials yeah um my <laughs> my handles on twitter and instagram are the same toby k-y-e-r-e um my website toby k-y-e-r-e.com yeah I think that's it <laughs> that's it Excellent. And all of this will be in the show notes as well, but stay in touch with these two. Um, Tune in next time as we catch up with movement directors Shelley Maxwell and Ingrid McKinnon. And you can catch us fortnightly. Episodes will be available everywhere you get your podcasts, including iTunes and Spotify. And don't forget to follow ETT on at ETT Tweet on Twitter and at English Touring Theatre on Instagram. Until next time.